And if you've missed any of it, I'm going to tell you, go back and listen to it, because I'm not going to talk a whole lot about what you've heard, because I've got a lot to talk about from today. So, but Paul has written many letters to the early church. And we look in the Word, and we see all these letters, and they all address different things. But overarching, there is kind of one general theme and one message that he's trying to say. And basically, when Paul writes his letters, he is saying to the people, this is what it means to belong to God. That's kind of what he's saying, the whole point. And it's especially true for this book of Ephesians, because Paul has jammed so much truth into this book, and it's all the stuff that every believer needs to know and understand about themselves so that they can be transformed. See, Paul starts out by talking about who God is and what God has done because of who he is. And then he talks about who we are because of what God has done. Now, when I, when I say who we are, Paul is writing to people who are believers in Christ. They have chosen to make Christ the Lord of their lives. They have received forgiveness for their sins by putting faith in what Christ did on the cross for them. So when I say he's talking about who we are because of what Christ has done, He's talking about the new identity that belongs to us as Christ followers because of Jesus. And this new identity that he talks about is the identity that now must be our primary identity. Every other thing that I claim as my identity, being a wife, a mother, a children's pastor, a sister, a daughter, a friend... Any other identity is secondary to my identity as a child of God. And I must live that way. And he talks about how God has stamped us as his own. He has said, you are mine. You belong to me. And we hear about the benefits and the promises and the privileges that are given to us as God followers. And not only that, we hear about how we are given a place where we belong, a family, the church, and that we, we are told that as a church, we belong to each other. And so this is what now should shape our lives. These realities, this new identity, this new place of belonging, it should shape our entire lives. And we should be living in a way that says, yes, God, I am yours. I do belong to you. A life that radically is different than the life of the world. And a life where that truth of who we are, that our new identity actually does affect everything, including our relationships. And it also means that we go from a me to a we kind of mentality where we're not just living for ourselves, but we're living aware of our sisters and brothers and aware of those who still need the truth. And so 
At the end, Paul gives challenges to us. He says, lead a life worthy of your calling and to live as people of the light. And so this now, we come to this, and at the end of everything that Paul has said about who we are, our new identity, how we should live, how we should interact, all of that, he comes to it and he says, this is how you need to live, and it's not going to be easy. In fact... It's going to be a battle. And this is where we pick up today. We're reading from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Just a moment here. All right. Before I get into this, I loved, I don't get in here very often, so I don't get to enjoy worship with the grown-ups. We have great kid worship, but I don't get to enjoy worship with the grown-ups very often, but I do love the battle that was fought here today in the worship. I'm I'm not going to talk about that actually in my sermon today, about worship as battle, but it is. Worship is one great way to fight the enemy. So, okay, now let's jump into it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In the NLT, it says his strategies. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so this new way of thinking and this new way of living... The strength that you need to do this doesn't come from yourself. It comes from the Lord and his mighty power, not your limited power. I don't know about you, but this is great news for me because my own strength is definitely not enough. But God's strength, God's power It's limitless. And if I'm standing in his strength and his power, it's a whole different ballgame. And this is how I'm going to play that game. I'm going to put on some protective gear and I'm going to face the opponent. Now, there are two probable sources of inspiration that Paul gets, that Paul draws from for this illustration of the armor. Now, The most obvious one would be the Roman soldiers that are standing with him in the cell as he's sitting and writing this letter because he was in prison for what he had what he was done with preaching the gospel and all of that. And so here he is and he's looking at these soldiers and he can see it, it's right there. So he's looking at, okay, this is a good idea. And here's the thing: the presence of these soldiers was prominent throughout the Roman Empire. And so the image of armor would have been easily imagined and understood by the people of the day. And then the next place where he may have drawn from, and very probable because he was a scholar, is the picture of the divine warrior from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 59, verse 17. This is talking about the Lord. 
It says, he put on righteousness as his armor, body armor, and he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. This is our God, the Lord of heaven's armies. He is a warrior and he is for us. And this armor that he's giving us that we're going to learn about is the same armor that he used and he gives it to us so that we can stand strong and fight in his mighty power. Okay, notice as we go through this, Paul does not dispute or try to convince his readers that there are spiritual forces of evil present and at work in the world. He is simply stating it as fact. And the Ephesians would not have questioned this because their culture was well acquainted with the spiritual realm. But just in case you are questioning it, let me be 100% clear. The Bible tells us you have a spiritual enemy and his spiritual forces of evil are working against you. But we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Right? Oh, I got to hear it louder. (laughs) Thank you. All right. I I like when people talk back to me because I'm used to the kids talking back to me. So go ahead and shout your amens. (laughs) All right. So we have an enemy, but he's already been defeated. And we're on the side of the victor. But it doesn't mean... The battle isn't still real, and it isn't still fierce. So get ready, he tells us, because you're going up against a schemer. He is scheming against you, against your family, against your church, against your calling, and against your heart. If you have received new life in Christ, Satan knows he can't destroy you, but he will do everything everything he can to discourage and distract you from stepping up to the plate and being who God called you to be. He'll bring challenges and chaos, confusion and insecurity into your life, but you may not be aware that this is his influence in your life. You see, we get so focused on the things that we think are the source of our struggle, the things that we can see. The problem is the enemy that we see with our eyes. It's this job. It's this health issue. It's this person, this financial situation, this government We can spend so much time and energy wrestling with these visible issues that we don't even consider if this could be the work of the enemy. And this is exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to ignore the spiritual reality behind the physical one. Because as long as you are focused on the things that you can see, and are remaining unaware of the schemes and strategies that he's bringing against you, he can continue to run rampant in your life underneath the surface. Now, we don't have to be afraid of him. He's a defeated foe, and we're not defenseless against these schemes because we have access to the wisdom, power, and strength of the Most High God. 
and he gives us his armor so that we can stand strong. So verse 13 tells us, you're fighting an enemy, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, you'll still be standing. And he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It all starts with truth. And I'm not talking about the subjective truth that is happening in our world today where it says, this is my truth and I'm living my truth and you live your truth and we'll just be okay with each other's truth. No, I am talking about God's truth as revealed through his word, truth that is firm and unchanging. This is the truth that we conform our lives to. So why is the first thing that we put on truth? Because the enemy's number one strategy, the main thing that he comes against us with is lies and deception. Listen to how Jesus describes Satan in John 8, 44. He says, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is sneaky with his lies, too. He does it in ways you might not even recognize. He takes something that is true, and then he twists it a little bit. And he maybe takes a little bit out of it. And then he tries to feed it back to you, and you might not even notice the difference because it still looks similar. But if you follow what he is saying to you down the path, you're ending up in destruction. He's sneaky. He's sneaky. <coughs> Pardon me. So Paul says we need to wrap ourselves up in the truth. Wrap ourselves in the belt of truth. Now, some versions don't actually talk about a belt. They talk about girding your loins with truth. Now, in case you are not familiar with what girding your loins is, I have a little image here. And this shows you exactly how you gird your loins, okay? So basically the idea is you take your tunic and you tie it up. You tie it up and then you tuck it into your belt. And that way you can run and fight without tripping up. So the point here is that we need to wrap ourselves up in truth, we need to tie ourselves up in truth, tuck it in, so that we don't get tripped up. So let's take a look at the belt that the Roman soldier would have used. So this belt is not just an accessory. It's a big, beefy belt, right? Like a brace that someone would use when they're doing heavy lifting. The kind of belt that protects your core muscles and your back so that you can stand strong. Truth is what supports you at the very core of who you are. The way to strengthen your inner core is to immerse yourself in the truth of God's word. Dig in and apply it to your life. Become so familiar with the truth that you can easily recognize when the deceit comes. 
Do you know how they teach bankers to recognize counterfeit money? They have them handle real money all the time. And then when the counterfeit comes, something is off. It just doesn't feel right. And that's how they recognize the deception. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we are so familiar with the truth that we recognize when something is even just a little bit off. All right. Next we come to the breastplate of righteousness. Putting on righteousness, being righteous, it sounds heavy, but we don't have to strive to be righteous. When Jesus made us right with God, he gave us his righteousness in the place of our sin. Isn't that mind-boggling? Our new identity is that we are righteous, because of Christ. And now we have to live out that righteousness. Now, righteousness is not about being perfect. Righteousness is about choosing as a lifestyle by the power of God to live your life in alignment with the word of God. Girding yourself with truth means to affirm Agree with God's standards for your life. And being righteous means aligning yourself with the truth that you say you affirm. It is upright behavior that invites the blessing and the favor of God into our life while blocking the attempts of the enemy to gain access into our lives. Because unrighteousness... Choosing to live apart from or out of alignment from the word of God creates an opportunity and an environment in your life that invites the enemy to move in. When we choose to allow sin in our lives and into our hearts, we're giving access to the parts of us that are the most vulnerable. It's like we're punching a hole in the side of our armor. Now, how many of you have seen those movies where everything turns on the, we've got to find the weak spot in his armor, or the weak spot in the dragon's scales? Yeah? (laughs) Well, that's what the enemy is doing. He's looking for your weak spot so he can hit you there, and so that he can gain access into your life. We don't want to allow the enemy any access points into our lives because of sin. And so we must guard ourselves by pursuing a life of righteousness. We talk about this a lot in our set free retreat that we have every March here at church. This is a weekend where we set aside to learn about our hurts, our hang-ups, our habits. And we examine our hearts and we, we learn ways to deal with those things and, and seek out what is in there. Where are the access points? And we, we learned how to cut those off so the enemy can't gain ground in our life. So that's in March, everyone. A little pre-commercial for that. All right. So next we have the shoes. It says, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. How many of you like shoes? I like shoes, but shoes don't like me. I have to have special shoes because my feet get sore all the time. But 
but we're talking today about our peace shoes. And when we talk about the peace shoes, everyone automatically is like, yes, peace shoes. It's being ready to take the good news that we can have peace with God. And that's great news. Taking that good news and telling it to the world wherever the opportunity arises. Every single one of us, as a follower of God, we are tasked with bringing the good news of peace to the world. But there's so much more to the peace shoes than just going and telling. Because we get to also live in the peace that passes all understanding. We get to apply it to our lives. And so, when we're looking at our peace shoes, we want to think about other things. So I want to look at this second picture of the peace shoes here. So if you notice, it has little cleat kind of things sticking out of the bottom. They're called hobnails. And these would help exactly what you would think. They, they help a soldier with his traction so he doesn't slip and slide around. And so he's much less likely to get knocked down. And these shoes brought stability to each individual soldier, but also when the soldiers would operate together as a unit, these shoes would help them all stand together and hold the line because they all have the stability of the peace that they have. And so it would help them so that they would hold the line and the enemy wouldn't be able to break through. And this is what the peace of God can do in our lives. It can bring stability to our inner personal lives, and it can bring strength and stability to stand strong in relationship with other believers. Listen to this description of what peace could look like in your life. What would it be like if you had the peace of a quiet conscience? The peace of a restful mind, the peace of a surrendered will, the peace of a hopeful heart, the peace of loving fellowship with our God. See, this is not someone who is weighed down by guilt and shame, hiding from God or others because they're afraid of being found out. This is not someone who is clamoring for their rights or their preferences. This is not someone who is seeking to control. This is not someone overwhelmed with fear and worry and not someone poisoned by bitterness. Someone who is standing in God's peace is someone who has let go, let God take over. It doesn't mean that you're not standing and responding to situations in your life, but it means that you have brought your heart to a place of surrender and trust, knowing that God's got you wherever you are and whatever your circumstance Of all the things the enemy seeks to destroy, kill, and steal, peace is almost always at the top of his list because he knows where there is no peace, there is no victory. 
So he's looking for ways to bring discord to your life and your heart and your relationships. He knows he can't take away your salvation. So he will try to make you a miserable, ineffective Christian. And he wants you to focus on the chaos and the struggles that you can see and forget that peace is already yours. So when the enemy comes to steal your peace, you need to take whatever he's using against you and take it to God. Ask him to give you his peace and help you let go of him. With the kids, I have this this lesson that I teach them. I call it the peace process. And we talk about the things that just are going around in our hearts and in our minds and, and how we need to grab onto those things and get them under control. And so what we do, I actually have them do this physically with their body. I say, okay, I want you to think about this thing and I want you to imagine that you're grabbing onto it and hold it there. Hold it in front of you. And now I want you to talk to God about it. Tell him what you're feeling and what you're thinking and what's going on. And then I want you to give that thing to him. And I have them open their hands. And now, it seems like, yeah, okay, you know, that's a good thing to do with kids. But actually, I find that sometimes when I have done this, I have had such a hard time opening my hands. Because I still want control. I'm still struggling to trust. But it's a practice that is teaching me that I need to let go. I need to trust I need to open my hand. And this is what we have to do to maintain peace in our lives is to be open-handed before God and what he wants to do. And this is important because if I don't let go and I hold on to that chaos within inside me, all the toxic stuff that's building up there, it seeps out of me and into the relationships around me. And it brings the chaos with it. Remember, a large chunk of the letter of Ephesians talks about oneness and peace in the body of Christ and how we hold on to it. We are told that we must be humble, be gentle, be patient with each other, make allowance for each other's fault, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together in peace. Living in peace, living in the peace of God is not just something you do for yourself. It's something you do for others and with others. So let's pursue peace together. Now, Hillcrest, we're starting out into a big renovation project. And how many of you know how frosty things can get between people when there's renovation projects happening at home? Right? Renovations have a way of taking people who care about each other and pitting them against each other. Because we're all coming with, this is what I want, and this is what I want, and I think we need this, and, but I would really prefer this. And we're all coming at it from different ways. This project is going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort, and we will all have to learn a lot about communication and sacrifice, and trust, and forgiveness, that patience and humility, and we will have to bear with one another's faults. It sounds like it's going to be a renovation of our hearts just as much as it's going to be a renovation of our building. 
And in starting this project, we have declared as a family that we not only want to hold the ground that we already have, but that we're actively seeking to advance the kingdom of God as we empower the people of Hillcrest to do his work. Do you think the enemy is happy about that? And do you think he's just going to sit back and let us go? Leave us alone. Nope, he's not. I want to make you aware, Hillcrest, every person in Hillcrest, every one of you, over the next three years, the enemy is going to come after our peace. Both individually, in each one of your lives in different ways, and he's going to come after the peace of our church family. He will seek to plant discord and distrust and stir up bitterness and gossip among us. He will seek to create factions and isolate us from each other. I'm warning you of this so that we can be ready. Watch out for ways that the enemy might be at work among us. And if you recognize the trouble stirring in your heart, cry out to God for his help. Ask him to purify your motivations. And what is happening within you? Don't let it fester. Be quick to say sorry and even quicker to forgive. Remember, these people are not your enemy. They're not your enemy. We cannot fight each other. There is no victory when God's people do battle against each other. There's too much at stake, church. For us to hold on to our offenses or our preferences. Thank you. <laughs> Wouldn't it be an amazing testimony if when we emerge on the other side of this project, we not only have a building that is more effective tool for us to use, but that we could celebrate the deepening of the strength and unity and love of this family because early on we made a commitment to guard the unity of our church and to bind ourselves together in peace. Yes, that is my prayer. And that is one reason why I am standing here today giving you this sermon instead of in with the kids where I really love to be because I felt the Lord stirring in me to say that, that we need to stand and guard. Stand and guard. All right. All right. In addition to all this, let's take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All right, so this shield that we are given, it's a big guy. It's like two feet by four feet big. And someone could stand behind it and crouch down and be pretty much covered over. But what's amazing about this shield, the brilliance of these shields and their design was how the soldiers could lock their shields together and allow them to stand their ground or safely move forward more effectively. See, they're all protected because they're all working as one unit. Standing together in faith allows us greater protection. And it allows us to move forward and advance the kingdom. Your faith life with Christ was not meant to be lived in isolation. Although that's exactly what the enemy wants. 
He wants to put us in isolation from each other. But we are meant to stand shoulder to shoulder and fight alongside other believers. Now, a common strategy of war in these days was for the enemy to take arrows and dip them in tar and light them on fire and just shoot them willy-nilly over at, at their other enemies. And they're not actually even really aiming at anything. They're just looking to cause some chaos, right? They're looking to cause chaos because the arrows hit and, it, you know, your camp's on fire. You've got to set your camp out. How can you focus on the battle? Well, when this happened... Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Before going into battle, when this happened, what Roman soldiers did was they would take their shields and they would soak them in the water. Now, their shields were made out of wood and leather and canvas, and so they would let them soak, and it would bring all this water into the shield. And then, when the arrows were coming at them, it would hit the shield and that arrow would be extinguished, all right? So when we are at a place that we want to move forward and take a step of obedience, the enemy is going to send things your way to distract you or to block you. This can be in your thoughts, in your feelings. It could be actual circumstances, big things, little things, going wrong, taking up your time and energy, challenges in your relationship, temptations, fear, worry, or he might just make you too busy to do what God is calling you to do. And if we're not careful, we get distracted by these arrows and we, we don't move into the obedience and take the faith steps that God is calling us to take. But when we take up our shield of faith and move forward, even when it doesn't make sense, it extinguishes those arrows. We raise our shield of faith by first, believing that God is in control, second, doing what he tells you to do, and third, trusting him with the results. Now you might say, I don't think my faith is big enough. It's nothing like that shield up there. But let me tell you, it's not about you getting more faith. It's about discovering the strength and the power and the wisdom and the faithfulness of your God. Your shield of faith works because he is faithful. And it's not about how big your faith is. It's about how big your God is. And then we come to the helmet of salvation. And this... This is all about guarding our minds and our thoughts with the truth of God's word. Because this is where some of your fiercest battles will be in this isolation of your mind. See, again, the enemy likes to attack in dirty ways. This isolating us in your inner thoughts, stirring up lies and confusion, making you question everything. Some of the most common things that he might whisper is, I'm unworthy unloved, unqualified, incapable, undesirable, unforgivable. I am unknown, insignificant. I am a mistake. Along with these are the what-ifs that cripple you with fear, the constant replaying of an offense, or an uncontrolled fantasy life. If we're not careful, our thoughts can run away with us. Boy, my thoughts have taken me on some crazy downward spirals. As I listened to what the enemy spoke over me, failure, unwanted, too much, not enough, 
to the point where I could barely function because I was so overwhelmed with hatred for who I was. What I was doing was making an agreement with the enemy. I was taking what he said about me and acting like it was true. Now, your agreements might be different than mine. I'm a victim. I deserve this. I can never forgive them. I will always be this way. The enemy tries to speak a lesser identity over us to keep us from living as children of the light, but we can't let him do it. Putting on the helmet of salvation is resisting those lies and breaking them off and taking what God has said about us. It's agreeing with his word and rehearsing those truths until my heart begins to believe them and I begin to live in the freedom and the victory that I have already been given. And this is what we are supposed to do as believers. We are supposed to take the truth and rehearse it to ourselves. That's why singing is very good because it helps you learn the truths. Worship is great for helping us get them into our hearts and minds. We rehearse the truths. We speak them to ourselves. We speak them to each other. We speak them to the enemy so that he knows that this is the ground I'm standing on. 2 Corinthians 1.10.5 says we capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. This is very similar to that peace process that I was talking about. We catch those thoughts and we bring them before God and we examine our hearts before them. We see if there's anything I need to repent of here, Lord. And I ask him to reveal the lies. And then I send those thoughts away in the power and the name of Jesus and I ask for truth to come instead. I remember the things that I have rehearsed and I bring them up in my heart. I ask the Holy Spirit to give me his truth in the way that I need it. This is how we put on the helmet of salvation. And along with that, so closely comes the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Here we finally come to the offensive weapon that we are given. Everything else so far has been defensive. But the sword that Paul is referring to here, this isn't the big, great, broad sword that you might see in the movies where you have to have two hands to wield it, you know? Not like that. This is the smaller sword, about 18 inches to two feet long. And this is the kind of sword that was used for close hand-to-hand combat. It's the sword you use when the enemy is getting in your face. Now, we've seen already how truth is so crucial in protecting us from the schemes and strategies of the enemy. But now we see how the truth of the word of God can be used to resist the enemy and to push back the spiritual darkness against us. See, when the devil came and tried to tempt Jesus, this is the weapon that Jesus used. With each temptation the enemy brought, Jesus quoted the words of God. He didn't get into a discussion. He just spoke the Bible out loud to the devil. And the devil could not argue with him. When Satan is in your face, when you are facing temptation, fear, doubt, or any kind of storm, 
Follow Jesus' example and use the sword of the Spirit. Remember and speak the word of God against that temptation. Now, how many of you have ever had a certain passage of Scripture just, like, jump out at you or grab you or, you know, just spoke right directly to my heart? Thank you for those five hands that came up. (laughs) I know more of you have. It's a common experience. Now, when I think of that, there's a verse in Psalm 18, and it's Psalm 18, verse 34. It says, you train my hands for battle. And this is what God does in his grace for his people. He gives us specific words for our life. Last year, just about this time, I went into a craft fair, and I saw this sign. It's Second Chronicles 2015. The battle is not yours, but God's. Now, I've never seen a sign with Second Chronicles 2015 on it before. I've seen lots of, as for me and my house, and lots of I can do all things kind of signs. But I'd never seen one of these before. And what really draw my attention to it was that I had just taught a Sunday school lesson where this was the key verse. I was like, huh, I've never seen that before. I just taught on that. Maybe that's just a little gift for me from Jesus. So I bought it. But little did I know that this would, this would be my guide and my strength and my bread for the year and how much I needed it. And God gave it to me before I even knew. He handed me a sword because he's so good. And the word of God is alive and active. Yes. Now, this is generally a place where people stop when they're talking about the armor. We've got it all, the belt, the breastplate, the helmet. We've got everything, the shoes. Yeah, can't forget the shoes. Thank you. All right. But we can't stop here because there's one more thing that we need in order for our armor to be effective. And we find that in the next verse. Pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is the weapon that helps us get ready to go fight and the weapon that activates all the other armor that God gives us. When we pray, we are tapping into the power of God that is available to us. Now, I want to read this quote to you. This is by Priscilla Shire. She's an author and a speaker. It says, prayer is the mechanism that brings down the power of heaven into your experience. It is the divinely authorized method that activates your spiritual armor and makes it effective. Prayer alerts the enemy to your awareness of his intentions while safeguarding you from his attacks. It's his kryptonite. It is what weakens and unravels all his ploys against you. Without prayer, your armor cannot, will not be infused with the power that only God's spirit can give you. I don't know about you, but I want to see the power of heaven come down. 
Now, the prayer that he's talking about here, these are the kind of prayers that come as a response. Like when you recognize, hey, the enemy is at work here. And I need to use some of this armor that God has given me. I need to come against that. And so then you pray very specifically about those things. You bring those things to him and you go through the details of it with him and you come against those specific detailed ways that the enemy is, is coming after you and you bring all of that to him and you ask specifically for what you need God to do. But you don't just stop there. That is very important to pray very specifically. But we can keep on praying. We pray prayers of thanks, prayers of praise, prayers of repentance, prayers of lament, meaning brutal honesty with God, prayers of petition, asking God for help. We pray using the words of Scripture. I tell the kids that when we pray with Scripture, it's like we're getting a power-up in Mario Kart because it gets you so much farther when we're praying God's own words. And this is what we need to keep doing. It doesn't have to be fancy or complicated or long. It's you praying, turning your heart over to God acknowledging the battle, waiting to hear what his instructions for the battle are. It's you seeking his presence and his power, and then you taking his strength for your fight. But don't forget, this is not just about me. This is about us. We belong to each other. We stand strong together, so keep praying for all the saints. Keep praying for each other, with each other. Don't give up on each other and don't let each other give up. There's too much at stake, so pray and fight for the family. This is how we stand strong. We, we surround ourselves with truth. We rehearse it, sing it, speak it to ourselves, to each other, and to the enemy. We pursue righteousness by living a life that's in line with God's word and guarding ourselves from sin so the enemy can find no access point. We carry the message of peace with us and declare it through the lives that we live, lives of trust and surrender. And we let love win over preferences and comfort. We fight with faith by taking steps of obedience, even when it doesn't make sense, trusting in the faithfulness of our big God. And when we stand together, we are a stronger force to be reckoned with. And together, we can protect those who are weak. We protect our minds with the truth of God's word, and we resist the lies and schemes that the enemy brings to that battlefield. We bring our thoughts into obedience to Christ. We arm ourselves with the word of God, studying, memorizing, singing, and using this weapon to push back the darkness and build ourselves up in the truth. And we pray for God's presence and power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. God, we can only stand in you and your power. This is us, Hillcrest. We belong to God. We belong to each other. Let us be a people who are committed to truth, righteousness, peace, and faith. 
a people who define themselves by what God says about them, a people in whom the word of God is alive and active and used to defend and protect and proclaim the greatness of our God, a people who seek the presence and power of God in our lives, our families, our church, and this city. And may we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have been given as children of the light. This is us, Hillcrest. So, Lord, we thank you for the victory that is ours in you. We thank you for the new identity that you have given us, not by anything that we have done, but only by you and your grace and your mercy. We thank you. But Lord, we do not want to continue to live in darkness. We want to live as children of the light. We want to stand strong together and bring your kingdom We want to let people see you in us. And it's not easy, Lord. I pray for everyone that hears this today. God, every one of us that the enemy is trying to come against and all of his schemes, I pray that you would open our eyes to understand more what the enemy is doing. Show us, Lord, so that we can stand firm against him. Holy Spirit, speak to us when we need to run from unrighteousness. Lord, we are holding on to you. We're receiving your strength and your power. We thank you, God, that you have given us victory, and we stand in that victory today. You're big, God. You're faithful, and we love you. Amen. Do you stand with us as we sing in response this morning? desire 
so much for being here, part of our service today. Uh, thank you for joining in worship. Uh, I pray that you leave this morning uh, challenged, uh, also encouraged. Uh, we want to let you know that there are people available to pray with you uh, this morning if you want to take a moment and pray with someone. And specifically on this morning when we uh, celebrate communion together and we think about by his stripes we are healed, if there's something that is uh, that you'd like to bring before the Lord for healing, maybe that's uh, a need that you have personally, or maybe you're mindful of other family members or friends who are facing struggles. We'd like to also pray for that specifically. Uh, so we want to just uh, close our service here this morning. Bless you uh, as you go. Drive safe as you do. And if you want to spend some time in prayer, and perhaps specifically for healing, we'd like to welcome you to do that this morning. Have a great week. We'll see you again soon.